0: So this morning we will be continuing our sermon series on outward faith, of the importance of just not having the faith dwell inside of us, that the faith that we have in Jesus, but the importance of having our faith outward and showing it to others. Before we dive in today's text, I'd just like to open us up in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord. I pray that as we study your word this morning, as we delve into uh, the word that you have revealed to us through your scriptures, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds, that you would reveal to us uh, what we need to hear today. Lord, this somewhat familiar text of the story of Mary and Martha found in Luke, Lord, that you would uh, reveal to us um, various truths that we might not have heard before, that we might have not have uh, just saw. Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us today and give us receptive hearts and minds to your word. Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, at this time, I'd like to invite to everyone to open up their Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. So the story that we're gonna be going into today is the story of Mary and Martha. All righty, I hear uh, pages starting to finish being turned. (laughs) All right, so Luke chapter 10 "'Don't you care that my sister has left me "'to do the work by myself? "'Tell her to help me!' <laughs> "'Martha, Martha,' the Lord answered. "'You are worried and upset about many things, "'but few things are needed, "'or indeed, only one. "'Mary has chosen what is better.' and it will not be taken away from her. So at the beginning of the story, we can see that Jesus and his disciples are on their way to somewhere, but it is unclear in this passage and also the surrounding texts where their ultimate destination was. So this passage directly follows the parable of the Good Samaritan, which Pastor Dominic just talked about a couple weeks ago. Scholars suggest that Luke put this passage right after the parable of the Good Samaritan to help emphasize Jesus' point that salvation is not accomplished by our works and that waiting quietly on the Lord and having faith on him is more important than the hustling and bustling of busyness. As we read in this story, we discover that Martha This is the one who opens up her house to Jesus. She welcomed Jesus into her home, showing that Martha is a hospitable person. She could have just looked at Jesus and looked back at the mess in her house and said, sorry, you and your disciples are not welcome here. The floor is a mess, there are tons of things all over the counter, and my word, don't even look in the refrigerator. By the way, I am aware that they did not have refrigerators back in the first century. (laughs) No matter what condition her home was in, upon Jesus' arrival, she welcomed him into her home and welcomed them into her life. This brings us to our first point. As Christians, one of the most important aspects of having an outward faith is being willing to welcome others into our homes and in our lives. As we continue on this sermon series, one aspect of having an outward faith is being able to welcome others into your life and allowing people to see that life is not perfect. I'm sorry to burst your bubble if you think that it is perfect. When people see that your life is not perfect, they will be able to resonate in knowing that their life is not perfect as well. This helps to create relatability And we can all say together that we are all a mess. Can we all say that together? We are all a mess. All right, let's say it one more time. We are all a mess. Thank you. Yes, we are all a mess, and we're all in this together. I know that this is slightly countercultural, because I remember preparing to give a speech in my intro to speech class at a community college down in Chicago, which is over 10 years ago now, and I just feel a little bit older saying that. But anyway, on the way to class, I was struggling to find an object. I needed an object for an illustration of some kind that was required for that speech in the class. On my way to class, I found an object in the car that fit well in the speech, and it worked as an illustration in the speech. It was a combination master lock for those who were interested. I was a college student, so there were many objects to sift through in my car. But I, I sifted through all the junk, which I probably wasn't junk when, when I was back in college. But as, I, as I, I ended up finding the combo lock. But anyway, as I shared my speech about the object illustration in my speech class, I also shared how I'd struggled to find an object lesson that fit in my speech until I found something in my car while I was driving to class to present. I got an A A on the speech, but I had points taken off from my professor because I said I shouldn't share these kind of stories in my speech because it didn't seem like I had a plan or it didn't seem like I was prepared in the moment. And that moment, it stuck in my mind because that's when it clicked in me that, according to our society that we live in, that it says that we must have always, that we have to have everything put together, everything has to be polished. Don't get me wrong, it's important to pursue good work and to pursue excellence in things, but when we look at Martha in this moment, she welcomed Jesus into her home. There were still a lot of things to be done to host all the guests that were at her house. Because in the story, Martha doesn't always get the greatest reputation. She seems anxious, distracted about everything that needs to be done, and eventually becomes a bit short-tempered. But I wanted to give Martha a little bit more credit than she usually gets because she opened up the doors to her home. She welcomed Jesus into her life while everything was not put together. So as Jesus enters into Martha's home, a new character emerges. We are introduced to Mary, who is Martha's sister. Mary has one line in the story. It says that she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. Throughout the entire story, this is all that Mary does. Sits at Jesus' feet to listen to what he says. The scripture continues and describes what Martha is up to, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. This is where we start to see the plot turn in the story. Martha was doing a lot of serving and preparation which were all good things. But the key word in this passage is that Martha was distracted all the work that she was doing. The things that Martha was doing were good things. She was practicing hospitality by potentially preparing a meal for everyone, and this could have included all of the disciples. But we begin to see Martha's frustration build up when she calls out to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. My guess is that leading up to this point, Martha was trying to give a lot of nonverbal cues to Mary, but they just simply were not landing. And Martha became so frustrated that she decided, out of frustration, to command Jesus to rebuke her sister into helping her. When I imagined myself in the room at that point, Jesus would have probably just finished saying something to the entire room when Martha decided that she had enough of doing everything by herself and blurted out the request in frustration. I could imagine the room becoming quiet at this point, an awkward few seconds passing, everyone waiting to hear what Jesus would respond with. Then Jesus, so calm in his response, knowing all the feelings of Martha, knowing all the thoughts that she's thinking, aware of the frustration that built up in her, responds with, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, Mary, has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus knows Martha and knows that she is frustrated about all these things. And how many times do we get frustrated by these kinds of things? How many times do we say, Lord, don't you care what I'm doing? Don't these other people care about what's going on here? They aren't doing a thing to help me. Change their minds, change their attitudes, make them help me. When really, what Jesus is saying here is that it is what is in us that needs to change. Jesus points Martha to Mary and says, do what Mary is doing. You are depending on yourself to do all these things and all these things are distracting you from being emotionally and mentally present here with me. This leads us to our second point which says to keep our focus on Jesus. The scripture says, Few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. All the work and serving that we do should be an overflow of our worship of Jesus. Let me say that again. All the work and serving that we do should be an overflow of our worship of Jesus. When we look at Martha, we can see that Martha was doing good things. She was practicing hospitality but she lost sight of the one that she was serving. She got distracted, and that was when her frustration started to build up. And that is when she blurted out her frustration to Jesus. When we do work and serve in our own strength rather than serving out of an overflow of our worship of Jesus, then we will have moments like the one that Martha had. It might be expressed in different ways, with different kind of personalities that we have, that God has given us. Some of us might get frustrated, and we might not say anything, but we bottle it up and this can build up to resentment and bitterness toward a situation or a person. And it could build up over hours, days, months, or even years. And this tension tends to come out sideways in a passive aggressive manner, which is something that us Midwesterners are good at. or even a directly aggressive manner. Other people might get frustrated and blow up immediately. The after-effects of this, these kind of emotional outbursts can be felt by loved ones a long time after that. No matter the kind of reaction that we have, that the stressors that may arise in our lives, most of them come out trying to accomplish these things or solve problems that all we do is we try to solve problems in our own strength. These things distract us from giving our attention and energy to worshiping Jesus. So this idea doesn't just apply to being hospitable, to guests in our homes, or even to serving in the church, but this concept also applies to other areas within our lives. This concept applies to how we relate to our family, friends, to our colleagues in the workplace. And when we take our focus off of Jesus, when everything we do becomes more about us rather than an overflow of our worship of God, this is when we start to go downhill like Martha and we start to compare ourselves to others for what, we start to compare ourselves to others and we start to get frustrated with what others are doing and that the, the work that they should be doing and that they're not doing their fair share. We start to create unrealistic expectations and impose them on others, and the spiral just continues to go downward. Martha was distracted, and she lost her focus on Jesus, and, starting to comp- and she started to compare herself to Mary, and that's when it went downhill. And then in line with Jesus' compassionate character, he is gracious and merciful to Martha in his response to her, and tells her that only one thing is needed, and that she is to sit at his feet and to focus on him and worship him. I think most of us need to hear that word. Work and, and serving are important aspects of our walk with Jesus, but the main thing that Jesus calls us to do here is to sit at his feet and to worship him. I mean, I get it. I can sometimes be like Martha. It is easy to do that. But Jesus tells us that the one thing that is needed is to sit at his feet and to worship him. To close at this point, I'll bring up an interesting connection point here of Mary and Martha. So context-wise, this is the same Mary and Martha who are sisters to Lazarus, the person that Jesus raised from the dead in chapter 11. After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in John 11, we read a story in John 12 about how Mary is anointing Jesus' feet with expensive perfume worth about a year's worth of wages. And then in the story it says that Martha served while anointing Jesus' feet. Didn't say she did do anything wrong, she served. And this is just consistent with her character. She loves to serve, and she is a doer. And this story does not mention that Martha has any problems with Mary not helping her. In fact, she might have just learned from this story about the importance of not being distracted while serving, but instead to prioritize people over things, which is our final point for today. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. As we go back to the story found in Luke, Within the hustle and bustle of the busyness that was going on, Martha was distracted by all the things that needed to get done. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago in the parable of the Good Samaritan, as Dominic shared, which is the story that comes right before this, that we need not to neglect others. Instead, we need to make people our priority. We can do things, we can take actions that will help the need of others, but sometimes those actions and things that we can do can distract us from the very people that we are trying to serve. We're currently in this sermon series called Outward Faith, which is about how it is important for all of us who have faith in Jesus to live our faith outward. Let's consider the season that we've just entered. School has started. Lots of schedules are adjusting to virtual meetings, or are, are from virtual meetings to in-person meetings. Kids' sports activities have picked up. Work projects have picked up. Programs here at the church have started to pick back up. The Kids' Christmas Play program has just started back up. There's so many more things that I could list here, but I'm just getting anxiety and exhausted just even from listing all of those things. Even those of you who are listening and you're retired and you enjoy, like every day is a Saturday for you, You're busy with all your grandkids' sports, all the projects around your house, the projects at your kids' houses, work projects, volunteering here at the church. Everything I'm listing here are great things. They're great things to be involved in. They help us to connect with our families, connect with friends, connect to the church, and connect us to our community. But sometimes those things that we do distract us from the people that we are trying to connect with. Martha was doing good activities, but the problem came when she was distracted by the tasks at hand. The sermon is titled Intentional Living because it takes a level of intentionality to make sure that the things that we do that take our focus away from Jesus, we don't want those things to distract us from Jesus. And that first and foremost, we are to love and connect with God. And as we connect with God, it's also important for us to love and make an effort to intentionally connect with others. As Christians, a super important principle for us is to understand is that we have the ability to love others because God has loved us first. Let me repeat that. We love because God has first loved us. Some of you are like, isn't that in the Bible somewhere? Yes, 1 John 4. And this is why it's important for us to keep our focus on Jesus. Because that is where we gain our ability to love others. So how does this practice practically look? Does this mean I need to cut things out of my schedule? For some, that might be you. You might need to cut things out of your schedule. You're just way too busy. But I would say for most people, you don't need to necessarily cut things. Instead, it is important to be intentional with the time that God has given you and make sure to spend time with God reading the Bible, praying. And does this need to be an hour-long prayer session with your Bible and prayer journal every single day? Not necessarily necessarily. But for some, that's what it looks like. One thing I do every single morning is uh, I take our two dogs out, their names are Bear and Thor, outside. Our, dogs, our house backs up to a large wooded area, and so I let the dogs go out, do their business outside, and they don't need much supervision, so I spend about 15, 20 minutes in prayer, generally focused on a verse or a section of scripture of some kind. And in my backyard, I'm just marveling at God's beautiful creation. I'd normally be out there anyway. I'd normally be letting the dogs outside, doing their business, but I do my best to be intentional about using that time that I have to what I consider a priority, connecting with God through scripture and prayer. And yes, I've been guilty of scrolling through Facebook or Instagram during those (laughs) times, but it's my goal and intention to keep that time focused on Jesus which helps me to orient my day in the right way and helps me to properly love those who are around me. And Pastor Dominic has been handing out this piece of paper right here. I think I got it. Oh, I don't have it. It's gonna be on the screen right there, so you'll be able to see it. That comes from the book of The Art of Neighboring, and the sheet challenges us to write down our neighbors' names careers, family background, and then move on to their dreams, motivations, beliefs. And we encourage you to fill this out or write it down somewhere. Allison and I have a shared note on on our phones of all of our neighbors' names and all of the relevant information that we have learned over time. While we generally try our best to connect with our neighbors in an authentic way, we want We want you to know that sometimes in the process when you connect with others, there will be awkward moments. You might forget their names or accidentally write down the wrong name and call them by the wrong name, and then the next time you see them, only to having them correct you for you calling them the wrong name, which is embarrassing. That has happened to us. But it's also funny that Dominic the other week suggested that uh, when you get a, a new set of neighbors next to you, go to go bake cookies and to go meet your new neighbors, knock on their door, and deliver cookies to them. So when Allison and I were living in a townhouse in Chicago, our front door was about five feet from our neighbor's front door. A a new couple had moved just right next door, and so we waited about a week to introduce ourselves. Uh, Just, you know, moving brings on a whole lot of stuff. So we just waited a week, and then we decided to do this very exact thing. We baked a plate full of hot, fresh chocolate chip cookies. I know this is getting some of you hungry. (laughs) Got ready to do our introductions, made the long journey of three steps to our next-door neighbor's door, and we got ready to ring the doorbell because we could tell that they were home because their garage was open, their cars were in the driveway. We could hear them in the kitchen talking to each other, The interior lights were on. We could see their silhouettes through the blinds right inside their kitchen. So we're like, okay, now is our chance. We rang the doorbell, and we heard the doorbell ring inside. We didn't see or hear any movement towards the door. The talking that we heard earlier had abruptly stopped, (laughs) but their dog started barking. So, we sat there for what is probably one of the longest minutes I think I experienced, but after a minute or two, we wondered if we should ring the doorbell again or just give up. We decided to turn around and go back home with the cookies in hand rather than leave them on the ground for the raccoons to eat. Eventually, over the weeks, we, did get, we were able to meet our neighbors. But the reason why I share this is because there will likely be awkward moments when you get to know your neighbors but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try or keep trying. I know that we have been talking a lot about geographic house neighbors, but this sheet and concept applies to all of our neighbors that are in everything that we are involved in, from our house to our cubicle or desk or at our kids' daycare or school or the Zoom rooms that we're in or the community sports teams that we might be a part of, of throughout the year, get to know your neighbors. Get to know your neighbors' names, fill out their names, get to know their background, dreams, motivations, and hobbies. Parents and grandparents, when you go to your kids' or grandkids' sports practice or games, these squares that are on this list are other parents and grandparents that are at the games. We can get to know their family backgrounds, their dreams, their motivations, their beliefs, if they are parents of an opposing team, you pick up the sheet in the lobby that says, who is my enemy? <laughs> just kidding. You're, you're supposed to love your enemies anyway. So, But this concept can be rinsed and repeated in every different aspect of your life. All it takes is the intentionality to utilize all the places that God has placed you, and just to seek those opportunities to intentionally connect with others and to help love others with the love that God has shown towards you. This doesn't really add anything to your schedules, but it does take us recognizing that the opportunities we have and praying for opportunities to help the people around us place their faith in Jesus as their Lord. In closing, let's remember how we can seek to be more like Mary who is sitting at Jesus' feet waiting on every word that is coming out of his mouth attentive to Jesus' leading just like Mary's faith in Jesus is something that cannot be taken away from her our faith in Jesus is something that cannot be taken away from us the thief may come to kill steal and destroy, but the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep and that is something that Jesus says cannot be taken away from us. And with that promise, I'd like to invite Dominic here to help lead us in communion this morning.